Good morning, everyone. Trying to get a takeaway yesterday as the president spoke, reassuring disabled American veterans from Iraq that the drawdown in that country is on schedule and will take place by the end of August. I, I was trying to figure out, how do you assess the quality of life these days in Baghdad? I don't know what the measure is. I don't know what you use. Uh, it, it's we want to say it's the same as ours. It's a simple yeah. thing to measure how one uh, how one's life is, but it's different there. Well, different because roadside bombs, helicopter right. crashes, stray bullets, guns equipped with silencers, claiming hundreds of lives is not a feature of life in New York, but it is a feature in Baghdad. And I don't know what to make of this number. The Associated Press said over the weekend that 535 civilians, U.S. soldiers and Iraqi security forces were killed, which, if true, would have made July the bloodiest month since 2008. And as you know, the U.S. military disputes those numbers. Right. They claim that, in fact, it's be- they're doing better than they have in the past. But we need to figure out, first of all, what's the measure of success for the surge that we were told was a success in Iraq. We also need to figure out what the capability of Iraq is as the U.S. forces leave the country on schedule, as the president says. And wasn't it amazing, by the way, the cheering that he got when he spoke Indeed. to those disabled vets, Indeed. The, the, um, the support he got for saying we'd be out of there. They're certainly ready for it to be over. Jane Aroff joins us now, Iraq correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor and regional editor with Global Post. She's in Baghdad. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, John. And from his home in Maryland, Yosta uh, Hilterman, the Iraq analyst with the International Crisis Group, also joins, up, joins us. Yost, good morning. Good morning. So, uh, Jane, let me begin with you. Is there any way of assessing the quality of life in Baghdad and what the trend line stands at uh, this morning, as uh, the president says yesterday, we're on schedule for the drawdown of U.S. forces? Well, I think it's a great question, but like so many of those simple, vital questions, a little bit difficult to answer because the standard is so different here. And as you pointed out, it's not normal in New York City or Chicago or anywhere else to face roadside bonds, no electricity every day, all the other things that people face here routinely. And this is a country where people are used to war, they're used to hardship, but by that measure, things are still really tough. They're not nearly as dangerous as they were three, four years ago in the height of the Civil War. The economy is somewhat better, but day-to-day you see people struggling, a lack of jobs, a lack of electricity, a spike in violence. It might not be a rise in terms of a long-term trend, but it is certainly a spike. And things are very, very fragile here still. Jane Aroff didn't even mention the fact that since the elections earlier this year, there is still no official government in place in Iraq. Yost Hilterman, what do we make of that? The surge was supposed to be a success. If there's no government and a spike in violence, seems like something's come awry here. No, it's, it's, a, it's a serious problem, and for ordinary Iraqis who are suffering from the problems that Jane has listed, uh, the absence of a government just makes things worse, because uh, there is no governance, there is no uh, prospect that some of these issues are going to be addressed. And moreover, the bickering politicians give Iraqis the image that uh, there is no solution to their problems, and that the politicians don't really care about their concerns. Um, and they fear that if things continue this way, uh, violence will recur because um, they, they think that uh, um, if no agreement can be reached, um, these various uh, political faction leaders will uh, resort to violence through their various militias and that civil war will return. So, Joost, uh, what are we setting up for then? If the drawdown happens by the end of August, and uh, we're going to be focusing on this all week long, uh, questions about uh, the viability of Iraq, uh, the state of affairs in that country as we uh, reduce forces, are we setting up for Saigon 
175, where America just says we're, we're done with Iraq and it's just going to fall at some point after the summer of 2010? Or is there a way to turn this around? Yost? Um, sorry, the, the line is bad, I'm afraid. But All right, um, that's, let, let me put that to Jane and we'll come back to you. Jane, Rob, did you hear the question? I did. You know, I, I don't know that it matters so much that this is turned around. I'm not sure it matters so much whether 500 people were killed or 400 people or 300 people. The reality is here in, in Washington, it seems, that the troops are leaving. I mean, it's as simple as that. Short of the major catastrophe here, there is nothing that would keep U.S. troops here. That's made That's been made abundantly clear by the U.S. administration and U.S. military leaders. And that's why every opportunity they have they emphasize that the numbers are drawing down, that the equipment's going out, and pretty much no matter what happens, they are going to be out of here, and that is what we're seeing. Jane Araf, what about ordinary people in Iran, in Iraq? Excuse me, are they basically glad or sad that the troops will be leaving? Well, it's kind of a very complicated set of emotions when, you know, a lot of people, most people, I would say, do not want to see foreign troops in their streets. They haven't seen them in the streets for a while, ever since they've withdrawn to the bases for the most part. There aren't a lot of visible combat operations anymore that include U.S. forces, but there is still the perception that this is a country that is under occupation. Even though legally Iraq has full control of its sovereignty and security, it's considered still an occupation. That's uh, Jane Araf, Iraq correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor and regional editor with Global Post, speaking from Baghdad. Yost Hilterman, so then uh, let's just reduce it to its its basic essence here. If you were to answer the question of, say, a, a seventh grade social studies student looking at our experience in Iraq, what was achieved there? What do you think the answer to that question is going to be by the end of this year? Well, the, uh, a nasty regime is gone. There's no question about that. And many, many, many Iraqis are very, very happy about that. But the situation has become highly unpredictable. There is now chaos where previously there was order, brutal order, but order. And for this, um, uh, Iraq, and Iraqis are really concerned about what the future will bring. Uh, they fear further violence. Uh, they fear uh, continued lack of electricity, which is tremendously important uh, and has been for the last seven years. Um, they fear regional interference in their affairs, um, and uh, they don't, don't see any future for their children. And I think this, this lack of, of hope for the future is what may uh, color uh, future developments in Iraq most of all. It's Joost Hilterman, Iraq analyst with the International Crisis Group, speaking from Maryland. Jane Araf, last question then. Will it have been worth the price if Iraqis are asked what they've been through since 2003? That depends so much, John, on, on who you're asking. If you're asking someone who has had relatives killed, and there are many, many of those, the answer would be no. If you're asking someone who has been in exile and only returned after the fall of Saddam, then they see a much brighter hmm. future. But as you mentioned, it is a future that still is very, very much uncertain. In flux. Jane Araf, correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor and regional editor with Global Post. Thanks so much. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour 
wherever you listen to podcasts.